We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hi, I'm Joe Connolly. Today, you are going to meet a man who is quoted in the news all the time. Jonathan Bowles, director of the Center for an Urban Future, a nonpartisan think tank to increase economic mobility in New York. And that just means raising all boats and all of the people in them to grow the middle class. Producer Neil A. Caruso will join us in this discussion, too. Jonathan, how do you see New York coming back from the pandemic? Well, thanks, Joe. It's really great to have you have uh, have you on me have me on the show today. Um, you know, I'm really optimistic about New York. Uh, New York's always bounced back before, but um, there's some significant challenges uh, that I think we all have to be uh, honest about, and uh, they're going to take some real specific actions uh, and steps on behalf of our policymakers. Um, we've got to make sure that New York holds on to uh, what got us here. Um, you know, so many of the New Yorkers that that have left or have considered leaving, we've got to make sure they're back. Um, we got to make sure that um, that New York um, that that we start going back and supporting uh, the institutions that made New York great, our small businesses and entrepreneurs. We've got to make sure that people start spending money again. Uh, we've got to make sure the artists and, um, and 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 institutions like museums and performing arts institutions. Um, are there because really it's the city's vitality, um, things that happen in neighborhoods across the city that are going to have this reinforcing mechanism and, and kind of really show people, not just in New York, but around the world, that the city is back. So uh, it sounds so it sounds, though, as though you're saying it's going to need help. It's not going to happen on its own, Jonathan. You know, I think that we are going to see a certain amount of this. I mean, we already see that some businesses are starting. A pretty large number of businesses have gotten started. Um, you know, New Yorkers are getting back into indoor dining. Um, but I think that it's got to be helped. Um, you know, I think that we're, we're, you know, this past year was so devastating. And I think there's still some people on the fence about this city. And I think that that's why we've got to make whatever starts to happen with folks that are getting back and spending money and, and supporting our businesses and institutions, we've got to reinforce that. And I think that the city and state policymakers can do so with some targeted interventions and also some marketing and promotion. I think we've got to really hit this and make sure that we prime the pump and, and really reinforce that New York isn't dead, that things are happening in the right direction 
but that more uh, can can happen and is needed. Now, some will say the federal government uh, is already putting trillions of dollars into the national economy. So will it just cost money, more money to do the things that you're suggesting, or can it happen other ways? You know, I think that uh, it, I think money helps um, right. because New York City is, has a higher unemployment rate than almost any other big city in America right now, over 12%. Um, so let's be clear that like New York isn't just like any other place right now. Um, we have more folks that are unemployed and a higher share of the people are unemployed here. And that affects their ability to go out and spend money at restaurants and, and, and uh, stores and, and other things. Um, so I, I think that um, that more can be done, uh, but I think also like there needs to be a, a really strong message to New Yorkers to go out and help these businesses and institutions. Like some new I love New York, which was a campaign that that paid off for 30 years. I couldn't agree more. And you know what? I don't feel like that there's been enough of that. And, and you know what? Not just uh, targeted at the rest of the world, but targeted at New Yorkers. And I love New York that's saying, if you really love New York, not only stay here right now, but go out and support small businesses, go out and support local artists, get outside. I, I think that, you know, until we have the kind of tourist boom that we had prior to the pandemic, and that's going to take some, some time, you know, New Yorkers have got to take on some of this responsibility. You know, after 9-11, it felt like almost a patriotic duty to go out and see a Broadway show. We've got to make it like it's a patriotic duty again to get out and support our small businesses more than before, uh, because otherwise, you know, a lot of them just aren't going to hang on. Well, the fact that many areas, other areas have done better over this period than Manhattan have long term implications that you see. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think that um, there are some real structural challenges facing the city. I mean, like, um, I think most people believe that we're not going to see as many people go back to office work. Who knows how much it's going to be? But let's say if it's 10 or 20 percent fewer people going into midtown or downtown offices, that's going to have a huge impact on service sector workers, people working in the restaurants and bars and, and retail stores around there, but also building support services, janitorial ser services, maybe even people uh, driving cabs and Ubers. Um, I fear the most for the lower wage workforce in New York City, many of whom were already disproportionately hurt because of the pandemic, people in restaurants, retail, nail salons, childcare, you know, a lot of them may be hurt by some of these structural issues like remote work. I'd also add that another big structural challenge that New York is facing is with business travel. With Zoom and other technologies, we may not see as many people come to the city for business, for board meetings and other things. Those folks go to restaurants with their expense accounts on Monday nights and Tuesday nights helping out restaurants. They go see Broadway shows. All of that supports this larger um, low-wage workforce that I'm really worried about. It was interesting that um, you suggest that the the uh, the vacuum might just not be refilled. That, that New York may not refill itself. I, I didn't think about it needing that much help. I just thought so many of us are dying to get back in who don't live in the city anymore. I did. Uh, that the demand will come back. 
that may not be necessarily so. You know, um, I, I just think that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uncertainty with the post-COVID period. Yeah. Um, as as you as you know, you know, um, a lot of affluent people have have left, and some are coming back, and some are probably still on the fence about whether they're going to come back. You've got some people that are considering Miami, Austin. You know, should they go out, go down there, and look for work, or, uh, or should they move their company to those places? You know, there's, there's this kind of inflection point that I think that for the next six months or so, you know, some people may be deciding what they're going to do. You know, how like are the subways going to come back? Are we going to see the city as lively as it was before? Because people put up with a lot, including higher costs to be here. And I think earlier for such a long time, the positives always kind of outweighed all of those negatives of being in New York. And I think that some people are trying to figure out, well, you know, are the are enough of the positives going to come back to kind of outweigh those costs? And and I think that you know we don't know for sure, and that's why I think we have to probably help it along, um, and and promote the things that are coming back, and that that you know promote the kind of good behaviors or and and, and spending that I've been talking about that just kind of make it so that it starts spiraling in the right direction. You know, I spoke to somebody. Um, who, who runs a uh, big uh, advertising company in New York, and, and he, he has a part of his company in Australia and Moscow. And I was really encouraged. He said that w when those places, they're, they're both ahead of New York and, and the head of the U.S. in terms of just kind of getting society back. And he said that when it came back, it just came back. Like it was like not over a period of four months. It was like a two week period when everything just snapped back. And he said he thinks that New York could ha that could happen in New York maybe later in the summer or early in the fall, but that we've, we've got to just kind of reinforce that, you know, and make sure that if it is happening, that we get the word out that it's happening, you know, and that New Yorkers believe it, but that also people all over the world and across the country, they see, oh, New York's back, you know? Yeah. You know, right. to, to when, me, FOMO, when FOMO kicks in again, yeah. fear of missing out, Come on down from Rockland that's County. A, that's exactly it. Fear of missing out. And I think too, people are—they um, don't know when it's going to come back, and and people are already out and about. Um, seems like people in our business, it's like it hurts to hear that people aren't have tuned off the news. And I hear a lot from people that are like, you know what? If I get it, I get it. You know, death rates are down, and so the behavior is really critical. To, to stopping it so that we can recover fully, like you said. Yeah. And, you know, the behavior is really important uh, when it comes to things like the subway. You know, the yeah. subway is so important to coming back. You know, for, we talked about Midtown earlier, but also just in general, you know, I think that it's one of those positives that I mentioned. You know, if, if people don't feel safe riding the subways, and, and I, I mean safe from the virus, um, mostly, although obviously some people are fearing for other things like crime, but I think if people don't feel safe riding the subway, you know, that's going to mess with New York's recovery in a big way. And, um, you know, it, obviously there's only so much that the MTA can do because, you know, like they can clean the trains, they're clean. You know, people aren't even, uh, you know, people are amazed how clean the trains have gotten, you know, but you can't kind of do anything about you know, your fellow New Yorkers, you know, like, you know, are, are they going to ever, yeah. is everybody going to wear masks? Do we know, are they all vaccinated? And is there any kind of fear of getting anything again? And um, 
And so that's why I really do agree with you that some of those health issues and like, what can we do to make sure that New York is healthy and safe again? Jonathan, what is the reason behind the outer boroughs expanding? Can you explain that? Yeah, you know, I think that um, the boroughs have generally held up much better than Midtown because people are working in their neighborhoods where they live. Um, and so, you know, people are still, you know, buying things and, and, and shopping and, and ordering takeout, but they're not doing it where they work um, or they're doing it where they work now, which is usually at their home or close to their home. And so a lot of uh, outer borough uh, business districts have held up very well. Uh, some are thriving. I think most still are, are struggling to some extent because, you know, uh, let's take a coffee shop, for example. Uh, you know, the coffee shop in your local neighborhood in Queens or the Bronx or Brooklyn or Staten Island, you know, maybe doing better than that kind of, you know, coffee joint near your office in Manhattan. But a lot of people are also having coffee at home um, and not going out and purchasing it. So businesses are still struggling in neighborhoods, but they're just holding up a lot better than those in Midtown. Interesting. And how may the changing demographics in these outer boroughs change that? And, you know, what, what are some of the successful businesses right now? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that from a kind of a storefront uh, perspective, um, you know, businesses are starting up in, in the boroughs. We did a little analysis of uh, new business formation in Brooklyn and found a significant increase, even compared to the months prior to the pandemic, new businesses are being formed. And, and a lot of those are retail and restaurant businesses. So that's an encouraging sign. I think they see that people are sticking put in their neighborhoods and are spending dollars there. And I think that those businesses are also betting on the fact that people are going to stay there more and that whatever they used to see in terms of foot traffic for those neighborhoods, it's now going to be significantly increased. And so, um, so I think those retail and restaurant businesses, I think, are looking good. I'm a little more worried about retail going forward. I think that, you know, people have gotten so used to shopping online during this pandemic. You know, some people are already doing so beforehand, but a lot of other people, even like, you know, older folks that may not have been kind of technologically, you know, proficient, you know, they're they're now used to shopping this way in, in a way that they weren't before. And so I think we may see, you know, clothing stores and um, accessory stores, shoe stores, we may see kind of a tougher road for those things, even in neighborhoods outside of Manhattan. What will be the new businesses or tenants that come in? What types of industries do you think, Jonathan? Who's going to fill well, the void? You know, I think there's still um, this is a this is a restaurant town. I think that um, after the pandemic, people are going to be itching to get out and be social again. You know, even if that means dining more on the streets or drinking on the streets at a you know at, at an outdoor uh, a cafe type situation. But I think that those did amazingly well before the pandemic. Uh, we saw over a hundred thousand restaurant jobs grow in just the decade before the pandemic. I think that's going to come back pretty strong. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, retail is is a bit iffy, as I was saying, but I think that a whole host of other sectors are, are, are really going to power the economy. I think tech was already strong prior to the pandemic, and we're seeing that a significant number uh, of tech companies are being started. In fact, we have a report coming out this week. We looked at job postings uh, for the site Burning Glass. And, um, and and really significant share of the new jobs during the pandemic that are being created are in technology positions. And so that's one, healthcare and public health. I could see a lot more jobs growing there, not only because of the pandemic and, and all the health 
aspects that that created, but also we have an aging population. And so I think that there's going to be a lot more businesses that are catering towards older New Yorkers. I know you do a lot of research and uh, studies of job training, upskilling as it's called. I go to some of the community colleges that seem to have excellent programs for training people in hospitals and in healthcare, yet there always seems to be a shortage of employees. What is this uh, bottleneck in upskilling of people, Jonathan? You're, you're, you're absolutely right. And thank you for asking, Joe. I mean, um, you know, I think this is the time that we ought to be investing in job training and human capital development and just all kinds of skills development, including upskilling, because, you know, we've got about 12% unemployment right now. You know, many of those jobs that people had that were accessible for people without a college degree, like those at hotels or in restaurants, uh, in nail salons, you know, they're slower to come back right now. And and so, you know, we've got to make sure that people get that upskilling, like you're saying, so that maybe they can get into something else, whether it's maybe in the growing green economy, in a technology position, you know, but those are going to take, you know, kind of programs at community colleges or really excellent job training programs like a Perscolis or a Pursuit, two organizations that are doing fantastic work in the job training area. Um, but right now, those organizations are serving a few dozen or a few hundred people a year. We've got to make that a few thousand, you know, and CUNY and their community colleges have such potential to upskill people at scale. Um, but right now, there's not that much happening in terms of helping people that already have jobs to kind of build up their skills to another level, that kind of upskilling. Um, and, uh, and we've got to be making those kind of investments. Is that because of the affordability or the hours in which the courses are given? Do you have any idea? Why aren't people going to these places that you mentioned, Perscolis? And what were the two that you, you know, mentioned? I mean, uh, Perscolis and Pursuit. Um, those are two. There's ex other, other excellent programs. Um, you know, I guess that um, it's really expensive to do the kind of training that actually leads to jobs. Right. I think for years, a lot of workforce development or training programs, I think, were kind of criticized because they said you're training for people with skills, but not necessarily training them to get a specific job. And those organizations that I mentioned, you know, they work with companies, with employers to like figure out what exactly are their skill needs? What do they need to hire for? And then they go and they create this boot camp that gets people those skills. And those are folks from without a college background, people from really um, you know, difficult backgrounds, but they're able to prepare them for those, those positions and they actually get jobs at the end. But it's very expensive per person to do that kind of training. And also there's a lot of basic skills that you need just to get into one of those kind of training programs. And I think that we, we've advocated at the Center for Inner Future that there are more programs that provide bridges into those kind of training programs because uh, right now the Perscolises and Pursuits of the World, they actually have to reject a lot of their applicants because they're lacking in basic literacy or numeracy skills. And so, um, you know, with more of that, more, more of the right people, they would be able to actually get more people in. But there's no shortage of people that want to get into these programs. Um, but I think that more investment is needed so they can do that kind of high, high cost training. And also we need to have more feeders, more bridges into those programs so that they're kind of open up to more New Yorkers. Jonathan, that on the job training, I hear so important to career development, but 
right now it's so difficult with the virtual environment. People aren't really being allowed in, especially coming out of college. So how do you combat that and offer that training to people that they need to succeed in the workforce? You know, I think that virtual training is a real opportunity. I mean, honestly, we, we saw that one of the challenges for people to enroll into a job training program before the pandemic was like, you know, just the difficulty of scheduling or transportation costs that were that were involved in that getting from your home and, and figuring out daycare for your kids. You know, sometimes people went to job training after their own job ended. But then how do they kind of care for their kids or pay for child care? And virtual training has the potential to let people that have those issues that they're dealing with those things to do the training virtually so they can kind of be at their home. And so I think that organizations need to ramp up their ability to do that kind of virtual training. Many of them really are, and they pivoted during this pandemic in a really excellent way. But I think there's an opportunity, even as we go back to in-person training classes, to also continue expanding that, that, that virtual training. I think that has the potential of reaching just so many more people. That could be the bridge you were talking about. The virtual training is the bridge, maybe. It's a great idea. It's a great idea. Neil? Yeah, and you know, you were talking earlier about turnover, small business turnover. And one thing I was wondering is, you know, how will the market stabilize? What is the key to stability right now? Because there's always turnover, but you know, right now it's obviously um, centralized in the restaurants and hospitality. You know, it's funny, I've done so many studies over the years about small businesses and entrepreneurs in New York City. And I think that the one thing that I've learned more than any is that what small businesses need most is business. They need customers. And I think that during this pandemic that we've seen that they've lost such a huge share of their customers, their reliable customer base. And so I think that, you know, that's why I was pitching that kind of like campaign, that marketing campaign to New Yorkers to go out and support your local businesses. I think many New Yorkers are already doing that, but I think that we need to really kind of feel it more that this that doing so is going to help keep those small businesses alive. You know, I was talking to somebody that's uh, doing some really interesting work in an organization called Rethink Food, um, which has tried to kind of make sure that when we're providing emergency food, like food bank type services for older adults or you know others in need, that we don't just kind of contract with those big food service corporations, some of whom aren't even based in New York, but we do that through supporting local small restaurants uh, in communities that often provide the food that people in their communities actually want, but that could also provide a stable funding source for local restaurants that you know are so dependent on just customers and it gives them this really thin profit margin, but we gotta think about other ways that might help these restaurants Kind of expand their revenues or have a different source of funding so you know all all things should be on the table but we've got to help these restaurants and bars and other neighborhood businesses survive with parallel lines i was smiling because you reminded me of the quote by the president who once said the business of america is business i think you're going to go into the history books too with what small businesses need is business <laughs> <laughs> What, um, just to wrap up, Jonathan, are we going to see, do you think, office towers being turned into residential apartments? You know, um, I think that we're going to be seeing some of that. 
Um, I'm a little skittish or, or, or worried about doing too much of that. We saw such great business growth and office growth um, in, in the years leading up to the pandemic. And I'm a little worried that if we convert too many of our offices to residences, that um, that office prices will go up to, to the extent that a lot of small businesses or growing businesses might not be able to afford the office rate. So I think we have to be a little careful about that. But absolutely, you know, we are going to see some of those conversions. I think we're also seeing hotel conversions. Um, but uh, but some of that will happen. But I think also conversely in the boroughs outside of Manhattan, we're probably going to be seeing some things converted into offices. For instance, maybe the second and third floors of retail establishments in the boroughs might become offices or co-working spaces for people to work, people that don't want to work in their house, but want to work closer to their home and not take the subway into Manhattan. We've been hearing, too, about a lot of new businesses that are starting up having an advantage over incumbent businesses because they have such lower startup costs, they have lower rents, and they're coming in at lower costs, which is interesting. I wanted... You, you, you're right about that. I don't think there's anything we can do. In fact, I think the city and state could should do as much as they can to encourage entrepreneurship right now. I think we've got to make it as easy as possible for people to get started. And obviously, let's try to do what we can to, to have those, those existing businesses hang on. Let's support them through the marketing campaigns and other incentives. One of the things we're calling for is a year-long moratorium on fines and fees uh, for all businesses. Let's We know there's a long runway for businesses to get back to health. Um, and we ought to support them. But I think that we ought to also uh, help those that are trying to get started uh, because our neighborhoods need it. And entrepreneurship can really be a path forward right now. And just to wrap up, Jonathan, is there a stat or two that come to mind that you have seen recently that you find the most interesting that caught your attention on the future of New York? Well, I have to say that this is not the most optimistic stat, Joe, but, um, but about a month ago, we did an analysis of the 50 largest cities in America of their unemployment rates, and we found that New York City had the third highest. You know, so, um, so that was worrying, um, and I think it's something to keep in mind that as much as New York has always bounced back in these situations, as much as New York is resilient, you know, New York is facing some significant issues. Um, and we are, in many ways, struggling more than most other places in America right now. And we need a lot of help to get back. I love New York is going to make a comeback. Because something like New Yorkers love New York or we'll put a jingle to it. I think you're right on that some marketing has to be done. And as you put it, two New Yorkers. I haven't heard that in a long time, if ever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we need it. Thank you. Uh, great to meet you, uh, Jonathan, and uh, keep up the good research. Thanks so much, Joe. Appreciate having me on. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? 
Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.